Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on the last day of March, the 31st, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're continuing our series on examining the churches that Jesus speaks to in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We finished looking at the churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira. And we're now ready to look at Sardis. The church at Sardis reads chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the books of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, this is the next church in the book of Revelation. Remember, the book of Revelation begins with Jesus Christ being introduced in the first chapter. And then John, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks these seven messages from Jesus Christ to the church. In fact, in verse 1 of chapter 3, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write. So there is some, shall we say, difference of opinion as to the angel of each church. I kind of agree with those who think it is the pastor, because the word angel, angelos, really is referring to messenger. And who is the better messenger in the church of Jesus Christ than the pastor who is trained about the message of Jesus and given to the people? But others suggest it could even be a real angel that each church has an individual angel like each Christian has as a guardian angel. Whether either one of them is correct doesn't make much difference because what's more important is what is the message. Now, each message to the church follows a similar outline. We've talked about this. It is, first of all, to the church, Second of all, it introduces Jesus Christ. Third of all, this is what I don't like about you. Fourth, 
this is what I like about you. Fifth, here are concerns of repentance and then promises. And all the churches end the same way as we will soon see. Now, these were churches at the soon after the time of Jesus had ascended into heaven. So why are we reading about them? It tells us two things. Number one, the world isn't much different in the day of John when he wrote Revelation than it is today. And second of all, the churches are not much different either. In fact, in confirmation, if I'm doing this, we'll go through and see which church described in Revelation 2 and 3 is closest to our own congregation, wherever I'm at. Next week, we'll do Philadelphia, which I believe is the closest to the congregation I had served for 28 years, but we'll wait and get into that one. So, how does it start? After a message to the angel of the church in Sardis, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, that's the introduction to Jesus Christ. And that's why you really do need someone trained in theology to help you understand certain parts of the Bible. Now, there are many historical events in the Bible that are pretty simple to at least know what the Bible's talking about. That's the interpretation. For example, they come to the Red Sea. The Egyptians are behind them. God tells Moses to open the Red Sea with his rod. The sea opens up. The Israelites cross the Red Sea. The Egyptians then chase after them and get drowned in the waters of the Red Sea coming back together. Now, nobody is going to say, oh, that's all about that there's lots of fruit in the Red Sea. Nobody would say that. There's, the word fruit doesn't even appear. The historical ideas are very clear. But then the next task is application. Why did God put the crossing of the Red Sea in the Bible? And there are numerous applications dealing with baptism, the fulfillment of the promises of God. You could spend hours on the application of the Red Sea. So when you get to a book like Revelation, and it talks about the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, we're not even sure what interpretation that is. If you're doing this as a Bible study at dinner with your children, they're not going to understand who is this person with seven spirits of God or with the seven stars. And what does that mean? Then you would need to go to the application. So how do you do that? Scripture interprets scripture. So either within the book of Revelation, within the New Testament, or within the Old Testament, you find the meaning of these concepts. The seven spirits of God in the Bible often refers 
to the Holy Spirit. Number seven, there's seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, etc. And we therefore are thinking that the one who has the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit, his gifts, etc., that's Jesus. And when did he receive that Holy Spirit? It's found in 1 verse 4 of Revelation. Jesus is said to have the Holy Spirit. And we realize that he really received it at his baptism from John the baptizer in the River Jordan. Remember, John baptized him. God the Father spoke to him. And Jesus, who was in the water, received the Holy Spirit as a dove falling from heaven and going into Jesus. So this is Jesus who has the Holy Spirit. And the seven stars, when you take a look at the Gospel of John, verse 16, we find that this Jesus holds seven stars in his right hand. And that, of course, Revelation, the seven churches. So that a lot of times when I preach, I'll sometimes have a, another pastor with me who does the liturgy. And when I say the prayer before we go into the sanctuary, I always say that we pastors are not leading the worship but Jesus himself is the true pastor of this congregation, the true shepherd. And as that true shepherd, he leads the congregation. The pastor speaks the words of Jesus in the liturgy, in the hymns, in the sermon, in the sacraments of baptism, in the Lord's Supper, in the prayers. And, and therefore, we are messengers of Jesus, who is really in charge of the seven stars. Now, first criticism, also in verse 1. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, unless you've understood this city of Sardis, you won't know what Jesus is talking about. Sardis at one time was a very important city, but it lost its glory and its reputation. We're not going to go into the details of why it lost it, but you know of those cities that lose a reputation. Uh, here in the St. Louis area, uh, East St. Louis, that's a place that you better be careful when you're driving over there because there's a lot of crime. There's a lot of places where there are sexual stores, etc. It's not considered to be a city that you really want to raise your children in. Then you have North St. Louis. Now, 
when I drive for Uber, I'm often told, don't go into North St. Louis to pick people up. And I've given you the incident where I had picked up an individual who lived in North St. Louis, but I picked him up in South St. Louis. That's where he worked in the water company. He was black and he told me his address. And as I was nearing his address in North St. Louis, I was driving slowly and he started to criticize me for driving slowly. And the way he started is, what do you want to get shot? Because for a white person, to drive slowly through there, there's a good chance that something's going to happen. In fact, I I was robbed when I used to drive yellow cab and it was in North St. Louis area. I had dropped a woman off at a bar and I had the mistake of keeping my window open and a gun was forced through the opening of the window, aimed at me and there were five youth who came around and robbed me of some money and my watch, etc., and hit me on the side of the head. So I was more careful in the future. That's what Sardis is like. It had a glorious past, but now was considered dead. But because of their past, they kept talking about how glorious they had been. Now, is that happening? in churches today. Unfortunately, there's a denomination called the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. And a lot of times they talk about their glorious past when they were actually three other denominations, Lutheran Church of America, American Lutheran Church, and then Seminex, which had kind of broken away from the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, because they wanted to do false teaching. Well, what happens is they think they have a glorious past and they don't realize that they're really dead because they no longer teach the biblical teachings. Now, there are a number of people in the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America who are Christians and they don't believe. Uh, what the leaders of their church say uh, about women ministry, about the idea that abortion is okay or homosexuality, or we don't have to really do witnessing to people of other faiths because they can come to salvation through their own faith. Who knows how God saves people? And it's not a surprise that the numbers in the ELCA are dwindling. So when you talk to their leaders, they give an account of being alive. But in reality, as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod indicated in a resolution at our convention, they are no longer truly Lutheran. They are dead when it comes to the message of Christianity. So what does God say? to the churches back then in Revelation, and to the churches today. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Woo, that's quite a phrase. 
In fact, when I would do a sermon on this, I would then quote this verse and ask members of the congregation, are your works complete in the sight of God? And I'm quite sure, being a good Lutheran congregation, they would say no, because they confess in the liturgy that they are poor, miserable sinners deserving temporal and eternal punishment. So they realize their works are not complete in the sight of God. In fact, those works are mentioned in Isaiah 64, verse 6. They are works that God considers dead, even though the congregation believes their works are godly, but they are not. How is that occurring in today's society? You can listen to a lot of other radio stations that have other churches on it, and you will find out that to a great degree, social ministry has replaced the gospel ministry. That that happened in Jesus' day. Jesus did a wonderful miracle of feeding the 5,000. Now, the interpretation is pretty obvious. People were hungry. He took some bread. He took some fish. And he multiplied them so 5,000 people were fed. But the application was totally missed by the people. The proper application is that, like God brought manna to the people in the wilderness, God, in the person of Jesus Christ, is also bringing that which is needed to stay alive. We, we say it in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. But what did those people do? When they saw that miracle, they missed the application. Jesus himself mentions that. You saw the sign, but you misunderstood the sign. And they thought Jesus had come to be a worldly leader, a king. They chased after him, and he fled from them after feeding 5,000 people because that was not the appropriate reason why God did that. In other words, this is similar to the fall of a city, the fall of a congregation or a denomination. And how many times have you heard that the basic message of the church is to help out the poor, and by that, they mean those who don't have much money, to give comfort to those who need the comfort, and to be against certain political things like racism, but for certain political items like abortion, etc. No, their works are not complete in the sight of God. But then, isn't that true of all Christians? Are our works complete in the sight of God? It depends what you're talking about. There are two kinds of works in the Bible. And verse 3 talks about, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Repent. 
Now, what is Jesus speaking of here? They had received the gift of baptism through that wonderful sacrament. They therefore have a new set of works that aren't really called good works that are done by our own volition, but these are fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it is that fruit of the Holy Spirit that God finds complete in the sight of a believer. It's complete because occasionally you really do a good work for the sake of Christ. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But even when you sin, because you have been baptized, you receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins, which means that God does not hold you accountable for your sin. He held Jesus, his Savior, accountable. And therefore, the criticism of Sardis, that their works are not complete, is because many of these people do not have works of the Holy Spirit within them. And Jesus warns them, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. This is called genuine repentance. Remember what you have received. In fact, the word remember is really another way of saying, wake up. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. We have a group of people who have appeared to have fallen asleep in our day. They're called nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, people who no longer are interested in the visible church of Jesus Christ, don't belong to congregations, specifically because they don't like the morality of the Bible, and therefore they want to live their own life. Verse 4, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. What's this white garments? If you take a look at chapter 7, verse 14, it talks about people's garments are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and they become white, from blood to white. White often is used as righteousness. Now, not all things that are white are okay. For example, leprosy makes you more white, and that, of course, is part of a sinful world to receive that disease. But the white garment you have on right now because you received it in your baptism. So verse 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Even in the Old Testament, you have the book of life mentioned in Exodus 32, in Psalm 69, in Daniel 12. And in fact, it's mentioned a number of times in the book of Revelation, 13.8, 17.8, 20.12, 
and 15 and 21, 27, as well as in the New Testament epistle, Philippians 4, verse 3. To be written in the book of life means you now belong to God, and no one, not even Satan, can remove your name from the book of life. The only way your name is removed from the book of life is when you fall into unbelief. You may be a Christian, but you decide to become a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon and no longer believe in the promises of the gospel that are found throughout the Old and the New Testament. That confession of faith you deny. But apart from that confession of faith, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You are in the book of life. And that's also true of Christians today who are sinners because the good works are found in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then the letter ends as do the others. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, do you have an ear in believing what Jesus says about the gospel? Then listen, because the Holy Spirit speaks that message throughout the whole Bible. I'm Tom Baker, and you just finished listening to uh, Thinking About the Church in Sardis. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, it's going to be Monday, Thursday, and so we're going to be thinking about Monday, Thursday. Wes Reimnitz and I will discuss important elements of that day because there will be congregations having that service. Until then, God bless Listen you. To Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.